This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of... EMS 22. I, I only do one podcast, so I don't know why I have to sit there and think about what I'm doing. I don't know why that took me. <laughs> my God, it's the it, ADHD. Yeah. Is it, is it EMS 2020 or is it? Uh, well, I mean, yes, we have RSI. We have a uh, rapid sequence info, which is our YouTube channel, by the way. Head on over there and get subscribed if you want to watch us uh, talk about other stuff that's not just, uh, you know, reviewing calls. We uh, we talk about the DeMar yeah, Hamlin, so, the thing that happened with DeMar Hamlin. And- we talk. Go ahead. Go on. Sorry. No, you sure? No, I was no, gonna, no you seem yeah, like you really no, had something important no, to say just, in like, my <laughs> sentence. No, no. It's all you. <laughs> no, take it away. Anyway. I retract. Right. I recant. Okay. Yeah, so we got the uh, we got the Demar Hamlin. I'm just expecting you to do it now just out of fucking spite. Uh, anyway. I mean, I was, but now I'm right, not. I know. You called yeah, me out no. on it. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Demar Hamlin, uh, NFL uh, football player that coded on the field. We talk about that. We uh, also have uh, an episode where we talk about the Illinois paramedics who are who have been charged with murder. So head on over to Rapid Sequence Info. That is our uh, YouTube channel. It's just YouTube slash at Rapid Sequence Info. It's info, not information. Rapid Sequence Info is the handle. Uh, so yeah, get nice. over there, check it out. Yeah, and you know, maybe we'll talk about other stuff that isn't just like death and dying. We'll get on there and, I don't know, talk about uh, how great Bon Jovi was. Because, <laughs> you know, it's sort of related because <laughs> it's bad medicine. I don't, nice. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's, uh, I've been listening oof. to a little uh, Slippery One Wet today, uh, and my kids, uh, they judged me hard. Well, that explains the title of the episode, which uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit, uh, when I want to, I can see the titles of the episodes. Um, so now I'm just curious because I, I don't really know what's going on in this. Uh, so this should, this should be interesting. You give love a bad name. Let's find out what uh, why Spencer named it that, if he even knows. Um, also, I, 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 you don't. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know if you do or not. I'm sorry. That was a dick move. Uh, also, of course, if you want to get your free continuing education, head on over to Guardian CME, where you can listen to this very episode. In fact, if you want to get continuing education for listening to this episode, you should stop listening to it on this platform and head on over to Guardian CME and listen to it on that platform. Again, the continuing education is 100% free. It is guardiancme.com. That's how you get there. And uh, yeah, you'll find You Give Love a Bad Name on there, and you'll get uh, yeah about an hour and a half uh, worth of continuing uh, education for it. So go check it out. And also you guys have heard me talk about the Jump Medic Pro uh, first aid kit. And it's an awesome kit that can absolutely save a life. It's a premium first aid kit. It goes for $279.99. You can get it at jumpmedic.com, but you can actually get it for cheaper than that. You get 10% off if you use the promo code EMS2020. No slashes, no nothing, just EMS2020, all caps on the EMS. And the $279.99, even at full price, it's not just competitive, but it blows the competition away. Now, last episode, I had to edit a lot and Spencer will vouch for this because I discovered the price of the competitor and I didn't really look into what is included in the competitor's kit. And then I did. Because <laughs> at first I'm like, okay, the competition's like 10 bucks cheaper. And you guys know our ad policy. Like we only really advertise things we believe in. I'm like, crap, well, if the competition's 10 bucks cheaper, like, hmm, am I on the right side? And then I looked and it's 10 bucks cheaper for a kit that the competition per them uh, is not designed to save your life, which is dumb. 
Uh, and if you want it to be designed to save your life, you can upgrade to the pro model, <laughs> at which point it then costs four hundred dollars. That's what the competition is doing. And it's still not as capable as the Jumpmatic Pro, which is cheaper by one hundred and eighty bucks. Uh, or I'm sorry, one hundred and twenty bucks, which is cheaper by one hundred and twenty dollars. It's ridiculous. So go check out our Facebook page. We did a, uh, a video a while back. I made an advertisement for it where I, I opened the thing up. I compare some of the contents to the competitor and you get to see what's in it. So go check out the video. It's on our Facebook page. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a follow on our Facebook page, which is EMS 20 slash 20. Each and every episode gets its own post on the Facebook page and also our Instagram page, which is uh, at EMS 2020 show on Instagram. And uh, yeah, with that, Spence, I think we're uh, I think we're ready to just do the thing. All right. Well, uh, guys, uh Knowing what's about to happen here, uh, I want to give you guys a heads up. Uh, I think I'm going to put you on to some crew resource management uh, items, and uh, I think there's going to be some system talk in this one. I'm going to uh, I'm going to change it up a little bit. Today we are going to be talking about the system first, um, because again, continuing our theme of unusual EMS services, the call being reviewed today takes place on a somewhat remote industrial complex in which employees and sometimes even family members of employees live on site at this area. Now, essentially, uh, imagine a small town built around this rather large industry. Uh, I'm calling this place the salt mines of Endivere. And Chris, you might as well give up now because you will never guess the theme on this. Yeah, you're fair because I I am lost. It sounds like something fantasy, like Lord of the Rings or... um I almost said the Jungle Book, but that's not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> jungle Book. <laughs> Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. I don't know how Jungle Book got in there. <laughs> you know, when Mowgli went to Endovir. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, of course. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. Uh, there is a throne in there in the okay. title. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, not Game of Thrones, but. Something. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, now, as you might imagine, Endovir is a massive site. And because of its location and the nature of this industry, it has it's this basically the small town around it. Uh, and it also has its own small hospital, its own EMS service, fire service wow. um, and the fire service, by the way, with EMT level training. Nice. And it has a small police force. Um But of course, we're really just going to be focused on the EMS service. So let's talk about that. The EMS service is comprised of a total of about 20 employees, most of which are paramedics. Uh, They have two ambulances on during the day, one on at night, plus one employee working as a float. And they typically, these shifts are typically medic, medic. And because it's a large industry, but a small town, you might imagine the call volume is pretty small. Um, and it is, as it turns yeah. out, you're imagining correctly. The night shift, uh, on which our medic, uh, who gave us the call works, they do about one call per week. So this is actually kind of interesting. So a lot of people might be having a hard time imagining this. I'm going to give you a couple of examples where you see things like this. One, and I don't think this would be because if, if this truly is, uh, I, I, you're kind of describing it as a remote area, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remote industrial complex, I think is, is what you called it. Um, so now the example I'm going to give is not necessarily remote, but there's a lot of college campuses that are actually super familiar 
uh, super similar to this. A lot of college campuses have their own police. A lot of college campuses have their own uh, clinics built into them. A lot of them have their Mm. own kind of EMS type systems. You'll also see these things in remote industries such as logging. I want to be clear, by the way, I have no idea exactly what Spencer is talking about. So I'm just throwing out examples because I can see this maybe difficult to imagine for some people. Uh, But logging industries, large logging operations, large mining operations. Uh, Another thing you'll see it is, um, so Spencer and I, we used to work very close to the uh, Intel campus. And they, for a very long time, and I believe even still, the huge Intel campus near where we work here in Oregon, uh, it's it's massive. And I, they didn't have like their own police, but they had their own security. And it is a small town in there. They have doc, they have clinics in there, several with doctors and nurses, and they have an emergency response team with EMS and EMTs because it is a massive complex that is constantly under construction, and they need that stuff there. Um, so yep. yeah, it, so these these. These things do happen and uh, they can be really interesting. And the challenges with them is that, you know, kind of when we're kind of come back to the the call volume is usually pretty small. And when it does occur, it's usually subacute. And so like anything, when you don't have a lot of calls, if your staff there is not necessarily experienced elsewhere, because a lot of times what you have is you have staff that, you know, they do this as a part time gig, but they are a full time paramedic or EMT somewhere else. But that's not always necessarily mm-hmm. the case. Um, sometimes you may have staff that this is the environment they've worked in. And it just kind of comes down to if you have not had the volume of serious calls and you have not seen and treated a lot of serious patients, that can kind of whittle away a little bit uh, at your experience level. And um, so, yeah, there's that. But the plus side is, is you typically are a little bit less jaded uh, because you haven't uh, you haven't been <laughs> raked over the calls with a call volume beyond what you can handle. So. Uh, yeah, so there no, is, that's true. Yeah, there is that. And so, and yeah. with anything, uh, if the, if this is a remote area, um, what you may end up with is you may end up with less experienced providers who are going to be handling patient care for a much longer period of time because they're going to be waiting for that ALS response to get on scene or for the, ex, for experienced providers to get on scene. Sure. So, which um, could be, and again, there, I don't know if that's going to be the case here, but yeah. that's what I got. Yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, like if uh, if you're a new medic and you come into this, then this is not the place where you develop uh, what I would imagine to be a lot of experience right? Um, in, uh, you know, in a lot of different areas. And mm-hmm. and if you come in with experience, I think there's a point where uh, skills and and whatnot start to atrophy over time. Absolutely. But th- that just that, that's just up to the system to try and kind of amend <laughs> for that or to to plan for that. Yeah. But um, oh, I mean, like, yeah, totally open, openly admit my IV skills have atrophied since going to flight. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. In May, in May, I'll be in flight for three years. And I think I've started six IVs in three years. And I've wow. been told that's actually a lot. You. Yeah, well, exactly. That is I've been a told lot. that's a lot. You're a, what are you doing? Okay, here's the thing. That is what I just get bored. That is one day on an ambulance. Not even maybe not even yeah. the full day. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you you go to flight and because things think about it. By the time we're landing, like that's done. You know, yep. I, I've innovated while in flight way, way more than I ever did on ground. But that's because that's the time we're landing is intubation time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you if you want to see me sweat, it's not the intubation. It's someone going like, hey, we need an IV right now. And And me going, oh no. Like, hey, pokey and goes. You got this, Spencer. Calm down. (laughs) And like, let's just IO him. Really, man? Yeah, let's just IO him. He's conscious. Let's just give him an IO. Yeah. 
That's old McDonald. This E I E I O. <laughs> nice. All right, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so let's talk about the uh, end of your hospital. It is a small hospital and it offers rather basic services. Uh, serious things will often get taken to that hospital, but then flown out by the EMS okay. providers. Uh, and they'll call in a, there's a flight crew that will come in and, and you know, yoink, take everyone away. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> this industrial complex also has its own helicopter. Like, damn. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> Someone else comes much, in. Still, but, that'd be pretty uh, yeah. incredible. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there is a cath lab hospital in a neighboring town, which is about 40 minutes away. And there is a level one trauma center, which is about an hour and a half away uh, driving. Um, the hospital does have ED techs uh, who work at the EMT level, uh, except that they are trained uh, to do like IV starts and other procedures that uh, may be beyond the typical EMT scope for their job at the hospital. Um, it, this kind of plays a minor role. Uh, so we'll put a pin in that, but uh, let's move on and talk about who gave us this call. All right. All right. <clears throat> this story comes for, comes to us from a two year medic, but with four years of EMT experience prior. Uh, and I'm calling this medic John Bon jo- John Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I call I'm calling this medic uh ooh Selena Sardothian. Bon Jovi it, it is. <laughs> bon jo- jo- Tell you what, you call them that, I'm calling them Bon Jovi. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, Selena has worked for the above service for uh, about four to five months at the time of this call. Prior to that, they did work in a large private uh, 911 uh, company uh, in a busy system, and they had a heavier dealing of uh, calls, uh, specifically trauma calls. Um, so they worked there prior to coming here and they worked there mostly as an EMT and then uh, a year and some changes of medic. Their partner on this call is a four year paramedic. I'm calling Rowan ukulele Faye. Rowan Ukes Faye is also a rather newish employee to this area, but comes with experience from multiple services they've previously worked for. What are they? Who do they work for? Uh, typical of a Faye. It's a mystery. We don't get to know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, th- this is actually a, a fair amount of experience then when we're I mean, we don't know much about uh, Bon Jovi's Ukes. partner. Uh, yeah, Ukes. <laughs> we don't know much about uh, Ukes. Um, but you know, uh, Bon Jovi actually kind of, I don't know, this is kind of that ideal <laughs> level of experience. I mean, four years of an EMT, I, I, I always love working with medics that have a lot of EMT experience because you and I have talked about it many, many times calls that go atrociously wrong, usually go atrociously wrong because people forget the basics, not the advanced stuff. And so having someone with a lot of EMT experience with the, uh, the BLS side of things is always a good deal. Uh, it sounds like they also yeah. come from a busy, uh, trauma laden system. So, uh, so good. I'm expecting, I'm expecting major things. I'm expecting this call to go perfectly. I'm expecting to have no comment on this whole thing and just be like, yep, do that. All right. Cool. All right. Well, let's find out. It's 22-38-32 about, okay. about thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, on a clear, crisp night in the salt mines of Endovir, Selena and Ukes are playing a card game, Rummy, and Selena is losing. Uh, mm. And by the way, lots of time was spent asking about the uh, card game. Uh, I have now, no, I have so no Chris, doubt. Typically, this game is played 
with this crew to either a thousand points or till one player loses interest. And tonight it's the loss of interest that ends the game because over their radio, they hear the end of your police being tasked with responding to a standoff between two parties involving a gun. You see, when you say two parties, I think it's like uh, I'm expecting like West Side Story. And it's just like a like two big groups of people that are like dancing off and then like a gun gets thrown oh, in the mix. Yeah. Now is this two parties? So is it involving like one gun and they're like hot potatoing it between the two of them? Or is this just like they each have guns? Uh, that, I, my understanding is that this is one party holding a gun and the other probably wishing they had a gun. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So two people, not not actual. Parties. Or wishing that the other side didn't have a gun. I don't know. Right, uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right. But uh, the police are responding priority, so that's lights and sirens, and they request EMS to respond and stage. And Bon Jovi has no problems going to staging. Let's just throw that out there. Oh, absolutely. Bon Jovi loves the stage. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Selena, a.k.a. Bon, and Ukes are only four minutes away from the scene from from their headquarters, so they get into their ambulance and start driving towards the location of the incident. And of course, when they're halfway there, they announce so and say that they're living on a prayer. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't Uh, mention uh, Bon Jovi's history of working on the docks. (laughs) <laughs> it was once yeah. a union man well they strike. don't work a nine to five they work <laughs> they don't <laughs> yeah. yep uh but boy it's tough when the yeah. union goes on strike Oof. Yep. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. all right He's down on his luck <laughs> uh wonder what gene is doing anyway That's- as they're heading towards the scene both selena and ukulele discuss the potential for the call because uh they know they could be going on a person with significant trauma and potentially like multiple gunshot wounds and they know this type of care was really kind of outside the scope of the local emergency department so they're trying to figure out like should we request an air ambulance response here right now Mm. like but the reason they're asking this is because neither of them have actually had to go on a significant call in this system uh so there was some uncertainty about the policy involved in calling an air ambulance um do they call them to the scene or do they transport them to the emergency department and then have the hospital call um they're kind of again uncertainty here um selena calls cole westfall the medic supervisor for their service and asks them for advice Cole, who's been listening to the radio, I hope that's how it's pronounced, who's been (laughs) listening to the radio, recommends putting the flight team on standby and activating them if needed after evaluating the patient. uh, By the way, uh, Cole Cole Westfall, uh, that's not a person's real name. That is a made up name. No. Well, it's not made up. It's just borrowed from source material. Just when you said you you weren't sure how to pronounce it, I'm like. Is this a real person's name? Then I'm like, no, of course it's not. Like, why would why would <laughs> no, Spencer something like after doing 117 episodes, something so like, yeah, now I'm going to start plugging people's real name. And you're going to end it with their we're... address. Cool Westfall, <laughs> which can be reached at <laughs> which can be reached at five four one seven zero nine. No, go ahead and give the last four digits of that phone number. I'd love to. <laughs> and here's the social security number. Docs away. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, yeah, they say that the patient would likely get flown out of the emergency department anyway, uh, if they were to take them to Endovir Hospital. So uh, they go, yeah, uh, call them after you see the injury, uh, okay. but get them on standby now. All right. So uh, Selena's. And, and Selena, uh, for their part, states that, like, prior to this, the majority of the pregame that happened in route was both medics reaffirming their, their comfort in treating GSW patients based on their previous experience, but also talking about loud about, like, where equipment they might need is, uh, tourniquets, combat gauze, IV st- stuff, uh, etc., okay. uh, where that would be located on their rig and in their jump kit. Um, and the reason that this is happening is that they're both still relatively new to the service and they weren't entirely sure of everything's location. Um, Selena <clears throat> described, you know, like typically just kind of tearing through the bag until they find the items they need when they go on yes. calls. And again, typically most of the calls they go on end up being like behavioral or intoxication or, you know, like minor complaints. Typical uh, industrial medicine. Because of the salt, the salt mines of Endovir. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not mining. Or is it? Oh, I suddenly get it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So they arrive to the scene at roughly 22.42.01. Uh, the scene is described as a grassy lawn outside of a residence. There is a flock of police officers scurrying about the scene. Selena notes on their arrival that there is an individual lying on the ground in handcuffs and a shirtless individual approximately 260 pounds and six foot tall or 118 kilograms and 182 centimeters lying prone in the grass a distance away with a tourniquet placed on an upper arm. So, Chris, what would your thoughts be at the moment? It's dark. It's cold. There's a, you know, a a scene that's busy with police and there's a guy with a tourniquet lying prone in the grass. Uh, Go. Okay. Where's the tourniquet you said? Upper arm? Uh, Yeah, it's located on his upper arm. So first of all, here are some of my thoughts. I really like their pregame. And this is kind of the weird advantage to having someone who's, you know, people who are relatively new to a system is that they're inherently uncomfortable. Uh, so they prepare a lot. <laughs> and like, that's, mm. you know, like it, it, it sucks to be uncomfortable because like you're new uh, to this, this agency. But at the same time, like this is why I love like having interns because like they don't miss like the little shit because they're looking at everything because they're so nervous. They are going to miss stuff versus those of us that have been doing it for too long that uh, we're just like, mm. ah, you know, like we're four year medicing it. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, anyway. Uh, so, but what am I thinking is, well, I mean, there, there's so much possibility here. So the first thing I'm thinking of, you know, is that I thought we were supposed to stage. Maybe I missed it. Um, Oh, they were called in. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they, they were they, they were on in. their way to stage and then got right. called in. So I always like to specifically ask, like, uh, hey, where is the shooter? I mean, even though you've called me in, just tell me what your version of scene safe is. Because it could just be like, <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen him come out of the house for at least five minutes now. You know, that could be it. So always sure. just guys. So the first thing I was like, hey, guys, uh, where's the shooter? And they was like, ah, you know, he's in custody. Great. I like that answer. Um, you know, otherwise, well, we haven't found him yet. Be like, well, did he like, are you chasing him in a car some way far away from here? Like what? <laughs> anyway, but that, that, that is important stuff. Like know where yeah. that shooter is at. Uh, but the second thing is, is we got to get assessing this guy right off the bat. Uh, if there is a TQ placed on an arm that I can see, 
Um, I'm immediately worried that there was some kind of significant bleeding going on. Do not discount a gunshot wound to the arm as not fatal. You have major arteries in there that can bleed like stink uh, and absolutely can they can bleed enough uh, to kill somebody. Uh, so remember when it comes to trauma, we work on everything else is ABC except trauma. That's uh, X ABC or X is for exsanguination. And that is you stop that bleeding first. Because one of the things you got to keep in mind is if someone is uh, profusely bleeding, losing large amounts of blood, you can easily lose en uh, enough blood uh, to become unrecoverable and die uh, just about as fast or faster than you can die from hypoxia from an airway problem. So that is why mm. uh, bleeding takes such a priority. Uh, so, <clears throat> and we forget that sometimes, uh, <laughs> oxygenating no blood is not helpful. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so anytime we have a gunshot wound, the first thing I want to do is I'm going to go up to that guy and I'm going to be immediately looking for any kind of obvious source of bleeding. Uh, but we're going to do things simultaneously, right? And so a uh, partner can maybe ask like, hey, uh, go ahead and ask him what's going on. See what his chief complaint is. I'm going to start looking for bleeding and start looking for bleeding. And then we're just going to have to go from there. I mean, the big thing is, is if I see bleeding, yeah. we're going to stop it. We're going to make sure that TQ is actually working. Uh, tourniquets need to be tight, 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 tight. Mm -hmm. um, do not loosey goosey put them on. Uh, yeah, sink tension down tight. And yeah, then we got to start. We got to start doing a head to toe on this guy. Also, remember, just because you got shot in the arm doesn't mean you didn't fall after you got shot and then hit your head. So do your best not to focus on. I mean, uh, okay. <laughs> if it is profusely bleeding, focus on it right away and stop it. But do not stop <laughs> your assessment uh, right there. So uh, anyway, yeah. let's see how hemodynamically stable this guy is. Continue with the ABC portion of things, right? And then get vital signs and go from sure. there. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's move. Let's uh, what's next? All right. All right, so they exit the ambulance, grab their kit, head over to the prone patient. As they get close, a police officer notifies them that the patient has a gunshot wound in the left bicep and that they placed a tourniquet as high as it would go. The patient's arm and shoulder are noted to be soaked in blood. So let's go to their quick first assessment. Level of consciousness. The patient is actually alert and oriented times four mm -hmm. and responds appropriately to questions. However, they do need to get the patient's attention to generate that response. Okay. Um, so, so patient, lethargic other, a bit. Uh, more that they, he, they described him more in shock. Like the patient okay. does say out loud, like what just happened and variations of that. But it was more ascertained to be like, mm. uh, as they kind of continued to interact with the patient that th like they were aware they'd just been shot. They just were surprised. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. They had been shot. The fuck? Uh, and you know, there's a lot of like some disbelief in the fact that okay. they had been shot. All right. So some, um, some emotional shock here. Gotcha. Uh, exactly. Uh, but again, able to answer the A and O times four questions. Okay. Uh, the patient's age is established. They are 34 years old. Uh, Ukulele Faye and Selena Bon Jovi roll the patient supine nice. and start looking for the bullet wound amidst the blood on the left arm. Uh, they're unable to find it. And it's decided huh. that Selena will go and grab the stretcher so that they can move the patient into the ambulance where there is all the light. Mm -hmm. Um, and they will activate the flight team to respond. The LZ is going to be the helipad just across the street from the uh, Endovir hospital. I'm sorry, what's their what's their distance from from the hospital? Uh, it's about five minutes. Okay, so well, that's convenient. Good. Yep. All right. So as Selena gets the stretcher. <laughs> 
Yuk Fei decides to remove the tourniquet from the patient's arm, Ooh. and they find that the tourniquet was actually covering the entrance wound, okay. which was uh, basically located at the top of the arm, just superior to the armpit and like under the clavicle. The wound does not actively bleed with the tourniquet removed. And the rationale here is as they're looking all over this arm to find a hole mm -hmm. and they're not finding a hole. And uh, the medic here sounds like was like, I need to see, like, I want to know what the fuck I'm dealing with, like where this hole is. Uh, okay. So they remove the tourniquet uh, to see it. And then, of course, with it's off, they're like, oh, there it is. The tourniquet <laughs> right was there. covering it and uh, it's not bleeding. So the tourniquet does not get replaced. Mm. All right. Uh, Selena turns with returns with the stretcher and is updated on their findings. Uh, the crew use a, a sheet lift to get the patient onto the stretcher and then head towards the ambulance. And I'm imagining some police officers helped, or maybe I don't know. Maybe these guys are super buff and they can lift 260 pounds <laughs> between them the on a there. sheet. Yeah, <laughs> could be. All right. Uh, once in the ambulance, Faye takes up the task of performing a full assessment. And Faye is, this is going to be Faye's, uh, patient, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they are doing the full assessment while Selena gets the patient on the monitor and sets up equipment. Uh, again, despite being about five minutes away from the helipad, Selena does radio their dispatch center and asks about mm -hmm. the fire department response, uh, because there is no fire department there. Uh, and they want extra hands available. So they are told that the fire department was not dispatched. Um, now, Here's the thing. Both Selena and Faye feel comfortable with the two of them managing this patient, but they don't want just one of them managing the patient. They want both of them back there and the fire department to drive them to the uh, helipad. Mm. So uh, they request that they respond and they uh, res the fire department responds. All right, we're coming there. Priority. Um, and by the way, a second ambulance from their service has also just now come on the air and also announced that, hey, we're going to respond as well. The air ambulance is 15 minutes out. Quick question for you. Did the FD give an ETA on how long they'd be there for? The uh, How long it would take for them to respond? How long it take? How long is it going to take the fire department to get there since being requested? Mm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm imagining just a couple minutes. Okay. Less than five? Because that's kind of a critical point that I, that I think I might make later. Uh, okay, yeah, you know what? Less, we'll say less than five. What? Um, because uh, so the here's the here's the situation. They're both in the back of the ambulance doing their assessment and vitals and stuff. So they're in the heli the helicopter's fifteen minutes out from the LZ. Sure. So they're if it's, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, but, I get it. Because because they're if they're gonna put the person directly in a helicopter. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. All right. So full assessment findings. Uh, this patient was made trauma naked with the ambulance heat and blankets uh, used after the nakedness was had. Uh, the patient is now alert to verbal and needs more prompting to respond oh, so to we're them. declining. So are OK. OK. Uh, the patient is reporting pain in their left arm. They're reporting chest pain and they're reporting pain in their left abdomen. Mm hmm. 
The patient is noted to be extremely diaphoretic and warm. Skin color is reported as normal, but I'm going to caveat that in that the patient is a black male and mucous membranes were not checked. Okay, so it's it is actually it's very important to check mucous membranes. Uh, the more pigmented the skin, the more you need to rely on things like nail beds and mucous membranes uh, for the simplest uh, the simple reason. Uh, those of us like uh, Spencer and I, which are super pale, because we're not just white; we are Northwest white. Yeah. We are north. Oh, yeah. yeah, we are northwest white, which is a, a no sun kind of white. Uh, so, skin condition uh, will, is going to reflect your hemodynamic status um, a lot uh, more readily available if you the less pigment you have. The more pigmented and dark the skin, the harder that becomes to see. So, you need to uh, rely on looking at uh, lips, uh, nail beds, and then mu- mucous membranes. By mucous membranes, uh, one way to do that is to uh, you can pull down the lip and you can look uh, kind of at the uh, at the gum line. Gums. Yep. This is one of those things like this wasn't taught to us. Like we this no. is something that like we've we've had to learn because, uh, you know, the schools just kind of teach to I, assess white people. You can say, it. yeah, assess, assess white, white people. people. That's literally, yeah. yeah, the schools are really big on yeah. assessing white people. No, but I, it's true and it yeah. sucks. Yeah. So that's uh, that's why we're saying it here. Uh, so vitals were obtained during this while this like assessment was taking place. The pulse is uh, 65 uh, on their monitor via an SPO2 probe. Respirations are approximately 26 per minute via you know, a quick look. Uh, SPO2 is 90% on room air with good pleth wave, but it's noted to be declining. The first non-invasive blood pressure, so the autocuff, doesn't generate an answer, so it is cycled again. But with those low sats, the patient gets put on a non-rebreather at 15 liters per minute. All right. Nice. So blood pressure's uh, now cycling again. Patient's on a non-rebreather. The patient's abdomen is described as firm and tender in the left upper quadrant. Um, and by tender, the patient groans when it's palpated. They don't go like, oh, stop, ow. Just gotcha. like, ah. Okay. Um, lung sounds are auscultated and reported as clear on the right, absent in the left lower quadrant, and okay. muffled in the left upper field. Uh, oh. resonant heart tones were reported on the right upper chest. Okay. There are no other bullet holes or injuries noted on their assessment. The crew does cover the bullet wound in the arm shoulder with a tagaderm dressing. Um, and Selena establishes a 14 gauge IV in the patient's right AC. Wow. And does their best to secure it. I know. Right. Yeah. I'm like, God damn, uh, does their best to secure it with tagaderm and a ton of tape because, sure. of course, the patient is diaphoretic and we all know that nothing sticks to diaphoresis. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in that case, by the way, if you find yourself, get out the Coban because the Coban mm, doesn't, yep. doesn't matter if they're sweaty or not. Coban will wrap all the way around. The only thing that sucks about Coban, though, is it makes it very difficult to monitor the site itself versus tagaderm and tape, which are see-through. You can actually look at the insertion site and Coban kind of takes that uh, away from you. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, but I, I would prefer an IV that stays in place. To <laughs> right. an IV Absolutely. I'll take that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll take that trade off. I'll take that trade off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now everyone is here. The fire department arrives as well as the other EMS unit and the other EMS unit has brought along, uh, 
one of the ED techs from the hospital, who you'll recall is an EMT, essentially with IV uh, start training. Okay. So the blood pressure on the autocuff at this point comes back at 141 over 114 via autocuff, and the patient is now very difficult to rouse. And yeah. there are now a lot of people in the ambulance. So, Chris, what are your uh, what are your thoughts here? So, w- one of the problems that kind of comes with extra help uh, is that sometimes it, it, can, it can not be so helpful. So, there's a lot of potential for chaos to ensue because when everyone is suddenly coming on scene, uh, everyone's going to want to be uh, want to be updated. And if mm. a clear leader does not present themselves, someone is probably going to try and step into that role uh, or they don't. And then that's where you can kind of come up with, uh, I don't know, I guess what you call a firing squad of uh, opinions uh, flying at you on what should be done next. So the big pitfall to watch out for here <laughs> is that uh, I guess rather how to avoid those pitfalls is establish PIC. So and I know it's cheesy, but like I've done this on scene and it just works when someone comes in, just be like, hey, I'm PIC. Here's what's going on. And uh, assign if there's anything that needs to be assigned now, make those assignments. Now, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? If people have these big question marks over their head, like the question mark icon, you know, uh, that's uh, then uh, if people have a very like, I don't know, if people are appearing as though they're like, hey, what the fuck is going on? And they really seem to want to because some people just want to know before they'll do anything. That's fucking frustrating. But um, (laughs) I will because like, hey, there are now things to happen. You don't need brief. Brief rant. Yeah. As in EMS, even in the ER, there are things, there are times where you will need to act and do things without knowing. It's just going to happen. Okay. So if you walk in and there's a gunshot wound patient and you get assigned to help stop bleeding or help do something, or or, or even if you don't know if it's a gunshot wound, if you walk in someone's like, hey, I need you to get a tourniquet on that limb now. Go fucking do it and then get the story later. Don't sit there and stop and be like, okay, but what's going on? What's going on is that they're bleeding out in their seconds to spare. Go take care of it. I will tell you yeah. as you do things. I just, I, it, oh it, 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 it <laughs> numbs my mind when people are like, all right, all right but, but I need the story. No, you don't. You do not need the story. What you need to see is that there's blood coming out of a place where blood should not come out of. And you want to know what's funny about that in the human body? There's no place that blood should should come out of. It should all stay inside. So when there's a lot of it coming out of some particular hole and you've been assigned to go plug said hole, go plug the hole. The story about how the Uh, hole got there doesn't matter. I I have two counterpoints. Uh, The first one is uh, the paramedic textbook I read in like five different places said, like, whatever you do, do not pack the vagina. Um, so uh, counterpoint one <laughs> All right. and counterpoint two is really, <laughs> you said the human body is not supposed to bleed. Um, and uh, I'm going to call you out on that one. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I want to agree with you because I've been in that spot where I'm like, stop asking me questions. Yeah. Do, do the thing you are. We're slowing this emergent thing down. Yes. But at the same time, I've asked, I've had people ask me to do emergent stuff that really wasn't necessary. And so mm-hmm. like, there's a part of me that's like, Hmm, if it were like you telling me, 
I would totally go and do the thing without really without question, because I know you, I know your clinical. uh, And so that's, I, I, that's sort of, what's like, if I'm going to do an intervention, like, you know, if they're like, Hey, needle that person's chest. And I don't know what's going on or why we're doing that. I would feel really dumb when I have to explain to my medical director later when it turns out like that was, that's my only pushback. And it's only, Okay, it's that, that that's weak a, at best. No, it's it's not. That, that's a good pushback. Like, okay, if it comes to something you can't see, you know what I mean. Like, if you're relying okay. on somebody else's uh, assessment to be correct, then you, then you're well within reason to. Here's what you shouldn't do. If someone says, "Hey, <laughs> uh, Spence, I need you to start decompressing that chest." Here, if I was in your shoes, Spence, what I'd do be like, "All right, where's your decompression needles?" Uh, and also, tell me why you think I need to do this. Uh, you know, like give me a good, okay, there's, yeah. there's, there's definitely there. And, and then like, if you start looking at it and you're like, Hey, this isn't attention pneumo, then don't do it. You know, I, I, I think you're well, like in that case, I think you're well within to get the targeted information for that specific thing. I'm specifically thinking of a recent incident where a patient had stopped breathing on me. I needed a BVM and someone before handing me it told me to wait because they were still getting the story. That was what ah. I was thinking of because I'm like, there is no portion of this story that is more that, that, that you need to know. There, there's no amount of listening that you need to do that overrides the benefit of handing me a fucking BVM for a guy who stopped <laughs> breathing. There is nothing. They could be winning lottery numbers and they still would not be as important because you would lose all the money in the lawsuit that came down for you not doing something Mm. obvious. So Uh, uh, hold on though. How much money is this lottery? It depends. We could let the guy die, I guess. (laughs) But you know, but like that's, that's kind of my point. It's like things like that. And you'll have people that will hold up like, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, what's the whole story there? I will tell it to you as you start bagging the patient. Please start bagging the patient. I guess yeah. here's my thing. There's a certain category of things that yeah. don't count. You know, it's like, no, you just need to go do them. Um, yeah. I, I, if somebody asked me for a BVM, I would give them a BVM. That Like that yeah. one that would kind of trigger me to be like, oh, that's a priority. All right. So. Pitfalls to watch out for. Yeah, I guess make sure you establish PIC because my original point way back before the rant was that uh, as people come in, people may have the what the fuck look on their face uh, in order to kind of mitigate that. Be like, hey, I need you to start getting access. We have a gun. Make your assignments and then quickly go into a loud update. Update the room. Mm. They are your audience. You are on a stage. Okay. So assign roles and then update the crews. Like, Hey guys, we got a gunshot wound that we know that's in the arm. However, we have these other vitals that are just starting to suck. We're losing consciousness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Clinically, here's one of the things that I want to consider. Uh, And I'm going to go back to uh, what I talked about earlier. And that is like, be very careful of focusing on one thing. So we know that we have a gunshot wound. Um, I thought you said right arm earlier, but now you're saying left arm pain or is it always? Oh yeah. Arm? Sorry. It, uh, it's left arm. Uh, okay. If I said, right, it's the other right. right. So, th- so they were, sh- yeah. so they were shot in the left arm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they were shot in the left arm. So, Hey, we, you know, we know they're shot in the left arm. The patient now has chest pain and pain in their left abdomen. Here's the thing about getting shot in one place, especially with bullets, bullets tend to ricochet and bounce off, especially when they hit things like big bones, like the humerus. So there could be another gunshot wound you missed. 
you know, I, I still don't know if we've completed a head to toe on this guy. If there's still that. And here's the other thing too, is uh, his altered LLC could be due to something not trauma related whatsoever. And mm. that is what I want to reel back. Cause we don't know what this guy was doing prior to getting shot. Were they at a bar? Uh, were they at a party? You know, I mean, it, it's, there's yeah. a lot of possibilities. There's a possibility of intoxicants in, in a lot of situations where people get really angry, uh, unreasonably angry, like go grab a gun angry. Intoxicants may be involved. Uh, so that is kind of one of the things that uh, you also need to be aware of is that just because you have trauma does not mean you do not have other things, which I think is like the permeating lesson on almost every episode of this show is that just because you have one thing does not mean you do not have other things. Um, so it's true. Bear that in mind that as this person becomes altered, although you have obvious trauma, be aware that there may be other things at play uh, in the altered mental status uh, field of shit. Uh, there's a famous right. call at the agency Spencer and I worked with where there's a trauma patient that was hit. Uh, and altered. And then it turns out that the reason the guy was hit because his blood sugar was low, he became disoriented and walked out in the traffic, but no one checked his blood sugar. So, yep. <laughs> that is a true story. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, yeah. In this situation. Uh, all right. So it sounds like the first thing that uh, you, you start assigning roles uh, as the, you know, uh, the, on the stage of PIC. Yeah. Uh, and then you say shot through the arm and, and you guys are kind of late. <laughs> <laughs> you give EMS a bad name. I'm kidding. That's a terrible thing to say. That, no, no. That's, that's harsh. <laughs> a little bit, but uh, yeah, no. So, okay. And, uh, and then, yes, I think it's important to, you know, like consider like, Hey, it, the altered mental status may be due to some other thing, intoxicants, uh, diabetes, um, you know, whatever, whatnot. In this situation, would you think it would be fair that if you have, uh, lung sounds that are essentially absent or muffled on one side, sats dropping, um, and a patient going out of consciousness, you think, uh, would you consider a, a tension pneumo in this situation? All right. So yeah. let's define the difference really quick between a pneumothorax and a tension pneumothorax. All right. So a pneumothorax is simply, uh, it's air between the chest wall and the lung. And that, that, that's a pneumothorax. Okay. A tension pneumothorax, uh, while also a pneumothorax is specifically when enough uh, tension or pressure builds up between the chest wall and the lung that it, uh, starts to place tension on the, um, on the mediastinum, which is where your greater vessels and your heart lies. And so you'll, you basically, you start seeing a uh, hemodynamic instability, uh, coupled with respiratory issues, uh, as well. And so do they necessarily have a tension pneumo right now? Maybe not quite because they're still hemodynamically stable, but I think they're working towards it super quick because their stats are 90% and they went from like, uh, you know, talking to me and not complaining of shortness of breath, at least as far as I know, uh, yeah. to like not talking to me uh, and saturations are dropping. And you said there's lung sounds gone on the left side. Yeah. Lung sounds are muffled and absent. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> do we quite meet the perfect definition of tension? Because I believe the blood pressure was in the 140s, right? Systolically. Well, the, it was 141 over 114 via the autocuff. So we have a if you, uh, ooh, Yeah. So if you trust that number. Yeah. If I, 
If I trust that number, that's really good. Uh, we had a lower heart rate, though. Remember, it's like in the 60s, right? Like 65? Yeah, heart rate was 65 uh, just a few minutes ago before all these people showed up. Yeah. So, so okay. So, I mean, yeah. So, here's the thing is, do I technically have a definitional tension right now? Maybe not. But um, I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that in a handful of minutes, we're gonna. All right. So, so I, I believe decompression's in this person's future. All right. Well, let's find out. All right. So again, now there are five people in the back of the ambulance, and it is worth pointing out that this is an atypical call for all of the other folks. So there is definitely a, uh, a an amount of adrenaline going. Uh, so uh, Rowan Fay and the two paramedics from that other ambulance work to set up a needle decompression uh, as there is concern about a possible tension pneumothorax given their findings. Meanwhile, uh, Selena Bon Jovi has ED tech spike a bag of uh, lactate ringers to attach to their IV because uh, they got that 14 gauge IV in there just a little yeah, bit ago. Nailing it. Jesus. Uh, uh, man. 18. I'm just I, like, if I get an 18, I'm I'm happy. Yeah. I've, I've ventured into 16 territory. I, I just feel like a 14 would just. It would just look at me and go like, no. Yeah. No, I, um, I've done a few 14s and I've also done an experiment with 14 gauges. And, uh, when you're just hanging on gravity, the amount of basically what I did was I, I put a suction container down. And I just timed the amount of time it took for a 16 gauge to fill the suction container up to 200 cc's, uh, and then for the 14 gauge to fill it up. And I, I, whatever time difference may exist is it was almost nothing. It was within the, about one second of each other. And the problem with that is because the lumen inside of a typical uh, 15 drop set isn't much bigger than the whole 16 gauge needle. Right. And so the 14 gauge mm. needle is actually bigger than the lumen uh, inside of a 15 drop set. And so while, yes, it will speed up some over a 16 gauge, you're not actually using the full um, diameter of the lumen in the 14 gauge. So even though you see numbers where it's like, well, the 14 gauge can do this much more volume, that is provided that the drop set you're using can actually go that fast. And some drop okay. sets will not be able to go that fast. Now, you squeeze the bag and it's no longer under gravity, that's yeah, a different story. But if you're talking about just under gravity, the difference between a 14 and a 16 is negligible. It's almost none. Hmm. Uh, interesting. Jesus, I anyway. didn't know that. So there you All go. Right. So, but you know, that's right, not so to say I'm justified can, yeah. in my hesitation. Yeah, yeah. There's not. Well, I mean, again, that's only of. that's only yeah, <laughs> only hanging off of gravity. But yeah, if you put a pressure bag, that's a whole different story, and you will use the capacity right. of that 14 gauge. But yeah, if you're just hanging off gravity, then no, there's nothing you can do. The, the 14 doesn't help you. All right. Uh, all right. So yeah, uh, there's a 14 gauge that now has LR attached to it, and one of the firefighters from outside is asked to jump into the driver's seat to drive the ambulance to the LZ. Sweet. Now, because the last blood pressure was obviously garbage, 141 over 114, I'm going to say no, especially when the first time it was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So Selena decides that it would be really prudent to get a manual blood pressure. So they move down the bench, straighten out the patient's right arm to get that mm. blood pressure. And all the tape slips off and the 14 gauge IV is free no! from its bondage and escapes out into the world. No, But at least they got and, to observe the site. 
Exactly. And, <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, that's there. <laughs> Sorry. And because that, that the crowd seem, of folks. That, that may seem like a criticism of the crew. It's not. It's me trying to be funny. <laughs> I like it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. funny. Because the crowd of folks around the left is essentially around the left side of the patient, getting IV access on that side is now impossible. Uh, so Selena discusses with one of the other with excuse me with the other medics about setting up a tibial IO which is the only IO they have in their protocol and they all agree like yeah that would be a good idea so as that's happening the driver is again told to start going because they haven't yet Faye Mm. is ready to insert their decompression needle they use a turkle needle which I'll give you a quick chance to google but it's essentially an eight French which, wow. according to uh, gauge to French <laughs> yeah. conversion, makes it about a 12.3 gauge needle. Okay. So, for decompression needles, that's not terribly off because a lot of agencies will carry a 10, 12, and a 14. That's fairly standard. Yeah. So, that's okay. Right in the middle. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, and it's about three and a half inches long or roughly like nine centimeters long. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Chris. Get ready, because what happens next is a bit of a surprise. I swear to so, God, if a rabbit uh, comes out of the end of that thing. Yeah, so uh, the needle, so they are going for the uh, second intercostal space midclavicular and okay. uh, push the needle, and it doesn't go in. In fact, it just really? bends. Really? And they're, they're, like, they're not yeah. trying to go through a shirt, right? They're, well, they made them trauma naked. No, so, okay. no they made them trauma naked. Yeah. Um, and uh. I should mention that this is a six foot, 182 centimeter dude who is uh, super buff. Yeah. Uh, you know, can't like, and it's that frustrating level of buff where apparently you cannot stop a bullet, but you can stop a needle penetrating your <laughs> chest. <laughs> Damn it. That, you know what? Uh, uh, that's obviously the level of buff I'm at. So I, I totally relate to this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Me, uh, totally me relate too. to that. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I also want to point out that uh, Selena, from their angle, noted that the patient's left chest is actually noticeably higher than the right side of their chest, okay. which is something that has changed over the course of their care. So, mm-hmm. Chris, there you are. You've tried to insert this 12.3 gauge needle or a yeah. French and it's the, the, the patient's body has rejected you. What okay, do you do gotcha. now? Uh, overhand tomahawk that bad boy in. Um, no. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> dart it. <laughs> yeah. First of all, do they have any other, uh, for, do they have a 10 gauge, which is a larger needle? Is that available at all to them? Or is this what they have? Uh, no, they do not. They have a, uh, okay. they do have a second turkle needle. They have a second uh, turkle needle. I, I'd say try again. Um, because the, the, the issue you have here is that, um, you have, to me, like you, you clearly have the need to decompress this guy. And the reason that left chest is noticeably higher is because you're probably uh, starting to see some uh, sub-Q emphysema or you just you just mm-hmm. have a tension that won't go away, right? The left side of the chest is expanding because the tension on that chest wall is getting so great. Um, what I may do, though, is change sites, right? So we're going in the second intercostal mm. space right now. So there's two primary sites that you can do needle decompressions. Uh, so you have the second intercostal space. And the way you do that is you go to the third rib and you uh, make sure you're outside of the cardiac box. When people say midclavicular, uh, most people, if you ask them to point to the midclavicular line, will point to the exact wrong place. Um, the middle of your clavicle, your clavicle extends a lot 
farther than people realize. So I'm going to challenge you now, especially if you're driving, take both hands off the steering wheel to do this. And <laughs> that's where Give Jesus thing. the wheel. Give yeah. Jesus the wheel. Uh, but no, when you're not driving, uh, actually like start with your clavicle and walk it out to the very, very end. And remember, your clavicle actually forms uh, part of your, uh, your shoulder joint. And it goes uh, about halfway uh, past the the start of the head of your uh, humerus up there. A lot of people do midclavicular when they're looking at a patient. They go pretty much from the uh, medial aspect of the head of the humerus. And then they go halfway between that and the sternum. That is wrong. And that will put you much closer to the heart. Do not go into the middle of the arch of the clavicle. It's another place people will go to because there's an arc to the clavicle, right? It has a round shape to it or it has a bow in it. Uh, people go mm-hmm. to the middle of that bow. Do not do that either. That will put you into the cardiac box. That is the wrong spot. Um, what you need to do is you need to make sure you are truly midclavicular on that. If you're going to do midclavicular, make sure you actually know what that means. However, if it's not working in there because there is there's a large pectoral muscle, the other place you can actually go is the fifth intercostal space on the lateral uh, aspect of the chest. Uh, so which would be the mid-axillary line, which is the armpit line. First of all, mid-axillary to me is a lot easier to find than yeah. um, than midclavicular because mid-axillary is essentially uh, if you're looking at the side of the patient's chest, which is where we're going now, we're going down on the side. It's halfway between the back and the chest. It's halfway between the top and the bottom. Yeah. That's that's mid-axillary. That's where you're going. And, and the fifth intercostal space. And so you want to f- – I'm sorry. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, I was going to say, and the the perk there is there isn't a giant pectoral – like pectoral muscle. Exactly. Like walking. Exactly. Yep. Now, it's there usually are still, an easier place. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there's – there is still musculature there, don't get me wrong, but it's not as massive as the pectoral. And so the way you want to find that, by the way, when you're counting and following ribs, follow from the sternum out. Trying to count uh, along the axillary line down is is almost impossible because it will change on person to person on what the first rib you'll feel. Usually the first rib you'll feel will be the second or third, depending on how skinny the person is, but that can throw your count off by quite a bit. The only challenge to that fifth intercostal space on that side is that uh, there's potential to go too low and wind up just putting a needle through the diaphragm and into the abdominal cavity. Okay. So you don't want to do that either. So there, there is a challenge and there is a risk. Now, given if I'm going to mess up, I'd rather mess up by putting a needle into the abdominal cavity than inside the cardiac box, you know, but um, I'd rather not mess up in either way because you can do damage, pretty bad damage both, both ways. So yeah, make sure you're counting from the <laughs> sternum and following the rib out down to the mid axillary side. So if I was in this case and I was having a hard time pushing that needle through, um, which by the way, this is not unrealistic or uncommon. If you have someone who works out a lot uh, and they're pretty buff, then th- this can happen. So I would, I would switch up sites. And try okay. It. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. And of course well, right. I'm also flight. So, I mean, I, I have, I have a nurse with me, so I have chest tube available, um, but they don't. So. Yeah. Um, and some product, some protocols allow for different sites and others may be more restrictive. I Very did true. not ask if they had an alternative site. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that in was that an case, option, uh, but in that case, just uh, tamp it in with the back of the IO gun. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the only thing you can do. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you're I'm not kidding, too I'm far it. off, sort of. Oh, okay. Uh, you'll see. Selena is down <laughs> at the patient's leg, establishing the IO, and they catch sight of the vitals on the monitor. SpO2 is 87%. Ooh. With that non-rebreather going, the respirations are 28 and shallow. They do not see the heart rate, but someone is trying to cycle the BP, but for all we know, it might not have been. <laughs> 
physically <laughs> attached at that moment because they oh, wow. threw the manual cuff on there. So, yeah, it, that's perfect. It, it, there's a little bit of chaos that's taken place. But uh, here's what happens. Faye grabs a 14-gauge IV catheter and makes sure. what I'm going to call a starting hole in the patient's chest at around the same site. Then okay. they use that secondary turkle needle and manage to advance it into the pleural cavity. Nice. They report getting air return with this, and the patient's saturations do increase to 91%. Score! Now, Celine Bon Jovi uh, notices that the patient's chest wall and breathing don't appear to change, oh. uh, but, you know, hey, sats are improving. Uh, it has now been six minutes since all of these extra folks have shown up, and the driver has been asked twice already to start transporting and has yet to do so. And now that everyone's kind of done with the tasks, they they all kind of collectively realize they haven't fucking moved. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> and Bunch of hopped they up tell, people back there. Yeah, they tell them like, <clears throat> uh, for, for the guardian CME, they say, "Please, sir, kindly move the ambulance." Yeah. For everyone but else, for the they say, "Fucking go!" <laughs> <laughs> and oh, the transport wow. to the LZ commences. All right, so. Meanwhile, Selena has confirmed their IO is good because they've gotten marrow return uh, on nice. the draw. And so they rapidly flush the line, which results in the patient sitting up and screaming, fuck. Yeah, that's uh, good. It's a guardian CME screaming. Gosh, darn. Ow. Ow. That <laughs> did it. not. That was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> nice. That's what he screamed. Yep, right there. That's what he screamed. Yep. Uh, Selena asks their partner for 30 milligrams of lidocaine to flush the line. And their partner elects, uh, that helps the give, excuse me, gives them that. And then elects to give the patient a hundred micrograms of fentanyl. Uh, after both interventions are, uh, performed, the patient quote passes back out. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so I would actually point so out like of the IOs I've started in conscious people, the IO itself doesn't get, the reaction, I mean, it does get a reaction, um, but what gets yeah. the reaction is, is the flushing of the IO. That's that's what Absolutely. gets the reaction the most. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of people are like, well, you can flush it with lidocaine. It, the lidocaine doesn't numb fast enough. It's still going to hurt. Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of the, the th I guess I would start with the lidocaine uh, yeah. only because, uh, yeah, you're going to like rapidly flush it. But then you're not having to like rapidly flush it and then give lidocaine, which 100%. also will hurt. So, yeah. you know, but it, it, it this is also an easy one. It all hurts. Uh, it, this is one of those situations, too, where uh, most of the time the people who get IOs uh, in – from where I've seen, uh, it's a little different in flight where I'm a little more IO happy. Uh, right. But, uh most of the time, the people who get IOs are dead, and the dead don't really care about lidocaine. Right. Um, right. So it's easy to overlook this step. But this guy's uh, super cared. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this guy. I have no breath left in me. 
Except for to scream about the I.O. Except except for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So Selena, uh, Selena decides to like, hey, I I need to get fluid in this guy. They searching for a pressure bag to try and push the fluids into the patient. But they are informed uh, by one of the other medics. uh, We don't actually carry any. So the manual BP cuff is attached to the fluid and the ED tech is instructed to inflate the cuff to get fluids in. Um, they, with that though, they still say like flow was, uh, difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. and tibial IOs don't tend to flow as well as a humeral head IO, but I've had humeral head IOs that I have not flushed vigorously enough. Um, and they can flow like garbage too. Anyway, they get to the LZ at, uh, five after midnight. The patient remained unresponsive. SpO2 remained 91% with 15 liters per minute. Respirations are still described as fast and shallow. They never did get a blood pressure established. And Selena did not get to see a heart rate. Gotcha. Now, so, you, you uh, said they didn't get yeah. to see a heart rate several times. Is that just because they, they weren't able to get their eyes onto the monitor? Or was it because... yes. It wasn't showing up. Okay. They just didn't get their eyes. In the it, was, okay. it was just their position with the crowding. They're like up oh, 91%. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, no heart rate. Yeah. All right. Well, there's, you know, 80,000 other people up there. So maybe, maybe gotcha. one of them sees it. Um, they do, uh, the, they do hand off to the flight team and the flight team transport the patient to the, the level one hospital. Uh, and here's what happened. The patient was given blood product by the flight crew and at the ED was found to have a fractured scapula, three fractured ribs, bone fragments in the armpit area, and they have the bullet resting center chest between the patient's heart and spine. Wow. Right next to the aortic arch. Lucky uh, guy. Yeah, and they're just going to leave that there. So MRIs are not in that gentleman's future. <laughs> gotcha. Do not go any. Do not go near any magnets. Like yeah. you're the opposite of Magneto. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, they didn't. Wait, they didn't. They didn't remove it. It's too dangerous. Yeah. Oh shoot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the patient uh, got a chest tube, got sent to the ICU, and uh, st- was stable. Uh, from there. So, uh, that is the call at the salt mines of Endivere. Okay. So I think one of the bigger, the overarching thing here, I'm imagining myself on this scene, uh, because I can feel it. You know what I mean? Like there's a part of this where I'm just like, yeah, like I've been on these scenes where nothing's going right. Like, like the patient just seems incompatible with any of your equipment to actually get the vital signs you want, which is always frustrating. <laughs> you know, like I, totally. I, I really want, yeah. a, you know, I really want a blood pressure right now, but I can't get one. I really want a heart rate right now, but I can't see one, you know, like you want uh, all these things. But one of the things that I got to say that I didn't really see come out in this was a strong PIC or a solid PIC at all anyway. Mm, and yeah, I, I think, think that may have led to some challenges. The nice thing about the challenges and some of the shortcomings that I am going to point out is I don't think any of these shortcomings were hugely detrimental to the patient outcome, especially because the patient lived. Um, you know, so I don't think there's anything uh, too bad there. I do like some of the innovation. I like the recognition that uh, advanced interventions were needed. And what I really appreciate about this crew, most of all, is that even though uh, a lot of the team wasn't very experienced, it sounds like the the two um, Bon Jovi and Faye were uh, were both fairly experienced. What I appreciated, and I always appreciate this, is that 
there was an intervention that needed to be done. It's a more complicated intervention. You could have easily been justified being like, let's just wait till the flight crew gets here. Let's just wait to pass this off. But they didn't. They just went and did it. It's within their scope and they did it. And I know that seems like a weird thing to point out, but man, that can be hard sometimes on scene. We're like, hey, I think we need to intubate or I think we need to decompress this guy. Well, we're really close to like somewhere else. And, uh, you know, why don't we just get them there? Um, you know, like, no, because yeah. some of these interventions need to be done really quick because the tension pneumo can go bad really, really fast. I yeah. kind of want to talk about their improvised um, tension pneumo wing that they were uh, that they were doing because that was actually kind of cool. Um, yeah. Getting, just like in terms of like getting it done. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And the other things yeah. I want to bring I, up, uh, I want to bring up a little bit about calling in the, uh, the fire department and why I think it was the right decision. But I can understand why some people may bring up a few things where they think like, why did you bother to call the FD when the... LZ was right there. I'll bring that up and talk about it a little bit. I All think right. I want to bring up also yeah. about the, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say to your point earlier uh, about pulling the trigger, that often is like the hardest part. That is the hardest step right. to overcome is just the recognition of this is the time to do this intervention because mm -hmm. there is that dynamic of wanting to, to wait. And the problem is, is, you know, it's like, in some situations, if you wait, then you're just doing it on a dead body, you know? Right. Like exactly. You're high fiving like, yeah, wow, we did the crike. And it's like, well, yeah. you did the crike, but the guy died like two minutes ago. So, right. Exactly. Like, so nice job. Yay! Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, anyway. yeah. And the hesitations there, especially on interventions where there's potential for things to go so, so wrong if they're done incorrectly. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you yep. you don't want to decompress someone that doesn't need to be decompressed. As you mentioned earlier, like if someone asks you to decompress, you really want to make sure that that's the thing you want to do. Um, so I can understand that that hesitation of just wanting to jump in there and do something dangerous. Um, but I appreciate that they recognize it. They trust themselves and, uh, and they went after that. Okay, right, so let's kind of back up to, to something in the very beginning that I wasn't the largest fan of, uh, I'll tell you what, do you want to work backwards? Should we start with clinical stuff and then go on to system problems? I mean, I know we were, system problems was the focus. Yeah, but dude, I mean, we clinical. did. Yeah, yeah I'm, let's, I'm in the let's clinical talk clinical right and then now. we'll go back. All right, sounds yeah. good. Let's start clinical. Uh, so clinically, let's talk a little bit about the treatment for this guy. So ultimately this guy had uh, attention pneumo, right? Or, or well, it, it's hard to technically call it attention because we never really got a blood pressure on him. But I'm going to guess the reason we didn't get a blood pressure on him was because it was really low because they had attention pneumo. So uh, yeah. And going with the diaphoresis, the, and yeah. the heart rate might be, I, you know, who, I don't know the heart rate, but it, I don't know if they palpated, if anyone at one point palpated to confirm that the heart rate was as low as it was. But yeah, it, yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, uh, but I think all the other yeah. signs were there. So gotcha. And the problem is we never really ended up getting that manual BP because when we tried to do that, we lost the IV access and now we have to focus on that. Um, yep. So, you know, we never, <laughs> up, we never end up getting it. But I do want to say like good on them for recognizing like, eh, I don't believe that blood pressure when it comes down to uh, being a PIC, uh, PIC on this, I think a clear established leader that'd be able to distance, distance themselves a little bit from the patient would have been ideal. The hard part about this guy is from my, under, from my count here, they had two paramedics on scene. That was it. And so in this guy, someone who's going to require quite a few ALS interventions from trying to start uh, getting IV access to decompressing, it's really hard to keep your head from going underwater in this case. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, and I and I think that's sort of this is sort of like these guys came in at sort of right that that sweet spot where uh, Faye had sort of assigned themselves to 
the, hey, we need to decompress this patient, we, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Selena took up the role of like, I'll get access because, you know, if it, if the decompression doesn't fix their mm-hmm. hypotension and shit, then f- yeah. you know, fluid or blood product eventually will. Uh, and then right as they're kind of in that, then all the help arrives. And then it's sort of this weird spot where if you like, I think if you assign it to somebody else, like, hey, I yeah. know I'm just starting this decompression, you but can't. can you take over? You, right. Yeah, you really can't because I'm going to be like, mm, hold on. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not going to. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's a really hard thing. And again, like uh, I believe you said the fire department's a BLS level, right? Yeah. So the 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 other ambulance has shown up and those are the oh, other I medics. About them. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are the ones who are in the back. Uh, only the, there's the one fire, uh, fighter who was driving, uh, and who needed to be spurred into driving multiple times. Um, so they're, they're, they are medic heavy. Um, but Mm -hmm. that, again, that, that I think this is sort of the, you know, it's like the R on T of (laughs) of problems or it's kind of like just that sweet spot of bad. Yeah. If that reference doesn't quite hit for anybody, let me tell you a little bit about R on T. R on T is basically when uh, one, you know, so your heart normally the way it beats is it uh, depolarizes and that's the, the fancy name uh, for, when the uh, the heart contracts, that's depolarization. And then repolarization is it getting ready to contract again by essentially relaxing. And there are conditions that will happen where the R wave, which is the depolarization, that's the big spike of the QRS complex on the EKG, uh, can happen in the middle of the T wave, which is the relaxation uh, bump on the uh, on the EKG. And if that happens where the R wave hits in the middle of that wave, then things go all fucking weird. And so that's what this is, is you are just, yeah, we were in the middle of essentially repolarizing and then boom, depolarization right in the middle. And so that, that kind of caused yep. chaos. And so, yeah, like you said, like it's very difficult. And the hard part about that is now here's the thing is you don't have to necessarily be first on scene to be PIC. Uh, I've been on scenes where people have come in and they kind of take over the PIC role because the two paramedics are ingrained in something that they're doing. But in this case, that would be very difficult to do because there is so much to talk about. Uh, and, and there yeah. is a story to, to catch up on. So this would be a I, challenging one for even an experienced person to establish, uh, a, a PIC role on. So it's, I mean, does it mean, I mean, it's, it still needs to be there, but, um, do you think that uh, Selena could have taken that role given like they're, I know they're, they're like, Oh, I need to get an IV, but maybe they assign one of the other medics, you know, seeing that their partner is setting up for this intervention. Yeah. They want to get an intervention done. It's possible. Uh, but I, you know, and I don't even, I, I say this because I have the, you know, the perfect sure. hindsight here. The, sitting the, the at 2020 my desk. hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, obviously. Right. Um, but that is kind of a thought of like, Hey, my partner who's technically like running this call is, you know, is doing this intervention that requires their attention. Mm-hmm. They do, they do not have the bandwidth to assign these other guys who are coming in mm-hmm. and do they need two other medics here or can I take one because we still need to get uh, a manual blood pressure. We still need to get, you know, like yeah. all these other things kind of accomplished. And now I have resources that I can put to that. Um, so this and, is where I think and, the, the whole thing kind of broke down. Um, yeah. So I think what should have happened is Selena should have gone back in time 
And what should happen <laughs> is they should have discussed, hey, uh, who's going to be PIC on this? Uh, because that's not the person you want. You know what I mean? Like, hey, there's two of us here, but sooner or later, like, there's going to be more. And we're going to need someone to command the chaos. And the hard part, one of the things I think happened is honestly, they got way more people than they really wanted. I think they wanted oh, yeah, they wanted yeah, one the, person. But you can't just call the fire department and be like, hey, can you guys respond? But I just want one of you. Like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I guess you could say that, but they're probably be like, no, uh, and send everybody. So I think they just, and then the ambulance, I think, just added themselves. Like, well, we want it. Like, yeah, these gunshot wounds don't happen often. We're going on this, you know. And so I think that just kind of added to the cluster. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think yeah. they end up with more people, but I, it's one of those things that, hey, if you know more people are coming, like, get ahead of that. Be like, hey, which one of us can be PIC when this thing goes down? That way, if Faye's like, I got to decompress this guy, that's time we're like, okay, I'll be PIC then when they walk in. Because don't get me wrong, like, starting an IO can be involved too, but... I mean, I don't know about you, but I concentrate a lot more on my decompressions. I'm putting holes in someone's chest than I do in putting holes in someone's tibia. So <laughs> to me, the yeah. stakes are a little higher on one of those. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So I think what what so what happens there is you have that pre-established. And then when then when the 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 horde, when the mob comes in and they're like, can we help? You can be like, hey, guys, I'm just starting this IO. I'm going to fill you guys in in a second. Can one of you guys try and grab a manual blood pressure? Yeah. And then you finish what you're fit. And then everyone's waiting. Okay. Everyone has a job and their job right now is just, all right, wait. Um, and that's kind of the nice thing about, we've talked about this before in what we call the, the, the Polak or the, the Finkston Oliver. It was a, it was an acronym <laughs> I made up to describe the, the Finkston Oliver leadership, something, 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 but basically scene chaos. I don't know. Continuum. It's, I don't sure, know. Yeah. It's this bullshit I made up once uh, in the, I believe it's the I see dead people episode where we talk about like uh, when some, you know, people who are, will readily accept leadership. And that is like, whenever there's high chaos, but no leader, people will readily accept leadership, whether it's good leadership or bad leadership. Uh, people will accept yeah. any direction. And so that's kind of nice, actually, in this case, because you have a bunch of people who are going to come in. Like you said, this is not a typical call. These responders that are coming in to help do not typically respond to this type of call. So they're going to be looking for that leadership. So if they come in and they're greeted with leadership, they'll respond a lot better. And so if they come in and yeah, you have that line of, hey, uh, guys, I'm going to start this IO. Uh, I'm PIC. I got to finish this IO really quick. If you can get a manual blood pressure, I'll fill you guys in in just a second. Get that done. That guy gets yeah. manual blood pressure. And come back like, all right, we got a gunshot wound to the arm. We think we may have another bullet wound we haven't seen yet because uh, we got these vitals going on. Uh, we're decompressing the left side because we have indications of a tension pneumo. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, helicopter's been called. We really just need someone uh, to drive us to the LZ. If we can get one more paramedic back here to help out and maybe another basic for scribing, that would be great. That's really all I need. And then everyone else yeah. just get the fuck out and then go. Uh, so anyway, but that's yeah. really easy for me to be like, yeah, that's, those are the words that I would say. Um, because it may not be that <laughs> I may be like, hey, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't just fucking wait. You know, <laughs> and then like that, that may be what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which isn't great. No. Like, wait for what? You know, I, so. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But I, I, I think that does solve a lot of the problems that, uh, the, that we kind mm. of, that we would, that we saw in this yeah. call. Like the, uh, you know, like, ah, the driver had to be told multiple times to drive yeah. and didn't seem to like, catch that they needed to when you have a when yeah. you have that sort of when you have the role of pic being filled they're essentially you know it's they're not running the call they're kind of that conduit of information mm -hmm. and so you have the bandwidth to go back 
and go like, hey, I asked this task to get done. Did it get done? And if not, is there a barrier? Do I need to assign, you know, like, what do I need to modify? Um, That way, you know, you're not – because everyone's been there when it's like, fuck, I'm down here. Oh, we need another blood pressure. But I'm down here and I can't – like, yeah, there's no way we're going to get that. Like, and it just becomes this sort of feeling of like, "Ah, I can't. Right. Because. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to get this thing done. Yeah. Um. And then it's it becomes stressful. It just becomes incredibly stressful to try and get Absolutely. anything done. And here's the thing. There um, may be yeah. times where you are – I, gosh, I, I want to phrase this really carefully because, again, like I don't personally know the responders on this call. So I want to say that – be yeah. clear that what I'm about to say may not describe the responders on this call whatsoever. I'm giving a hypothetical scenario that could happen. But you may find yourself where you are surrounded by people who just – they they lack the experience or the skill set to accomplish what you need them to accomplish. I have been on these scenes where I've I've asked people to do something they have said okay and then it just doesn't get done because they're confused, they can't find the equipment and then I'm sitting there as a PIC being like how much do I try to guide this person through finding something and they're like all right can anyone swap out and then you look and it turns out no you have a fire engine full of high school <laughs> cadets and one volunteer that very rarely ever gets out and you're like awesome Awesome. They don't even know yeah. their own kits. I've been on this call where they don't even know their own kits and those are going to happen where you just plain do not have the resources. And what sucks is then you get to triage what you're going to do. And this may be one of those cases where you look at it and, and I'm the last person to say, don't get a blood pressure. Um, so I will be the last person this time, but I'm going to say it. It may be one of those cases where like, Hey, I know that I'm going to be decompressing this guy. I know that I'm probably going to be running in IV fluids because they have the clinical signs of hypotension. And I know that my autocuff is very unlikely to be accurate at this point. Uh, and, or, or it's giving question mark over question mark, or it's not even connected to the guy. At that point, it may be one of those things where you just say, fuck it. The person that I've been trying to tell to get the blood pressure for the last however long, they're not getting it done. What can they do? Can you drive me to the LZ? Great. Just drive me to the LZ because I know that I need to decompress this guy or he's going to die. Or I know that I need this IV access because I have to start fluids on him because I, 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 yeah, I don't have an actual blood pressure, but by God, I have the clinical signs of a, of a shitty blood pressure. You know, so there may be scenarios where you are out there where it seems like something you shouldn't say fuck it to. But you have to. And so, and it sucks. Yeah. Because yeah. someone's going to ask why you said fuck it. And you're going to have to be It's like, <laughs> well, I tried to not say that. I tried, <laughs> I tried to have people do it and they couldn't. And I couldn't also do that and intubate. So yep. this is yeah. what happened. Anyway. Yeah. So no, that's a good point. In terms of treatment, the needle decompression, uh, I, I thought that was appropriate at the time that it was performed. Yes. And I thought it was a clever workaround. Like, all right, well, we'll get a starting hole. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. Scalpel that thing. And so you can actually do that, by the way. You can use the, the I mean, uh, do what your protocols and your doctor tells you. To do. <laughs> but uh, using the bevel Hammer of a needle. Hammer chisel, take it right out. <laughs> yeah. Using the bevel of a needle, uh, by the way, as a scalpel is 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 not a unique thing. I've seen that done. Uh, a few, I've never personally done it, but uh, it's uh, 
it, I, I've, I've seen it happen. So yeah, it works actually <laughs> surprisingly well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add one thing to the needle decompression. Uh, just don't forget about positive pressure ventilation in people with tension pneumothoraxes. Um, so it, it's, it can be, uh, especially when they're starting to start uh, to struggle to breathe. Um, once a tension's developed, uh, it, it may be too little too late. Um, but when we're starting to suspect that a pneumo may be present, uh, a lot of the doc- a lot of the literature says to um, consider positive pressure ventilation, and you should. And here's why: uh, the reason being is you have to remember that lung collapses because the pressure on the outside of the lung between the chest wall and it is greater than the pressure on the inside of the lung, so the lung collapses. Okay, so if you add positive pressure ventilation, you start pushing air into the lung and you can change that pressure gradient. Now, there's some problems with that and it won't always work and you can make things worse and I'll get to that. Um, but one of the things to remember is that, and especially I'll, I'll just, I'll ask you because you'll answer it right away. And that is like uh, when, when we breathe, uh, how do we, uh, how does our body get air into the lungs? Yeah, so it's a negative pressure system. Absolutely. So essentially the chest wall expands and by expanding, it creates a pull that pulls air down into your lung. Right. So it relies. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. it relies on there being less pressure inside the lung uh, to fill. So if there's any amount of pressure exerting on that lung between the chest wall, it won't fill. Okay, because it needs negative pressure. So if you add positive pressure, which is not the way we normally breathe, that's not the way we normally breathe. But if you add a positive pressure by blowing air in through the top, you can actually support that lung. Now, some issues that may arise with that is you can also then force more air out of whatever holes in the lung into the uh, space between the chest wall uh, and the lung itself. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a hole in the lung. Yeah, if, yeah. If there's a hole in the, yeah, if, if there is a, a, a hole in the lung, um, which may be the case, uh, in a gunshot wound. Um, but especially when we're talking about like, um, traumatic pneumos, where we're talking about blunt force trauma to the outside. Usually what that is, that's a detachment of the, of the lung from the chest wall without a hole in the lung. So positive, positive pressure ventilation is something that needs to be considered. I did not hear them consider it. So I want to throw it in here. No, that's a great point. Io with lidocaine. Uh, if you, if your patient is awake, it will help (laughs) and you should do it. Um, you know, that, that would be, we, we already hit that up in the uh, episode. So I don't think that necessarily needs, uh, much, uh, yeah. Uh, so here's a question for you, uh, without that blood pressure, this might generate some, uh, eyebrow raises, the uh, hundred micrograms of fentanyl, what are your thoughts there? To be honest, yeah. the, the thing I'm worried about more with the fentanyl than the blood pressure, honestly, is uh, reducing the guy's respiratory drive. If there's going to be a side effect I'm going to be worried about, uh, it would be that one. Um, but so when we talk about fentanyl, uh, we often equate it to the same issues as, as other narcotics like morphine or Dilaudid. And the problem with morphine and Dilaudid is they both cause, and even codeine, I believe, is they both cause a histamine release that causes direct vasodilation. Fentanyl does not cause that same histamine release to cause the direct vasodilation to lower blood pressure. Now, I know there's a lot of you out there like, yeah, but I've given fentanyl, I've watched blood pressure drop. It does reduce sympathetic tone because anytime you reduce anybody's perception of pain, you will reduce sympathetic tone. When you reduce sympathetic tone, you reduce the amount of, of uh, catecholamines that the body's releasing. And when you reduce the amount of catecholamines that the body's releasing, because you've reduced sympathetic tone and that perception of pain, uh, then you do uh, decrease the amount of constriction. Because remember, catecholamines cause vasoconstriction. 
And yep. now that's adrenaline and like noradrenaline and all those things. Yeah. Uh, when well, we're for those of us in, for, for those yeah. of, for those of us in America, <laughs> epinephrine and norepinephrine. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So you got. <laughs> I was, my, my favorite thing about uh, noradrenaline. So adrenaline makes sense because it comes from the adrenal glands, and so someone's like, ah, adrenaline. And the U.S. is like, we're not going to say that, but we're going to be right next to it. So epinephrine literally means above the kidney. We're not going to say adrenal <laughs> gland because it sits on top of no. the kidney like a little hat. Uh, but we're going to say above <laughs> the kidney. You mean the adrenals? We just mean above the kidney, bro. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so here's the thing. So yeah, with no good. Uh, so yeah, on one hand, you can be like, yeah, fentanyl doesn't cause a histamine release. No, but it may reduce the amount of catecholamines releasing that are causing vasoconstriction because you've reduced the amount of pain the patient's feeling. So that that can totally happen. So yeah, fentanyl with with no blood pressure whatsoever. I, yeah, I'd be hesitant for that. Um, I, I don't know that I, I would be for it, especially when we're not looking at a guy who's constant. I mean, here's the thing. Is he, is he uncomfortable? Uh, undoubtedly. This man is uncomfortable. If he has any perception of pain whatsoever. And, you know, given the fact that the IO caused him to jump up quite a bit, then yeah, he's probably uncomfortable and yeah. would benefit from fentanyl, but fentanyl without a blood pressure uh, with, with like no blood pressure that I could get. I don't think I'd give it. Cause my, my only problem is like, if this guy's blood pressure is truly borderline, then sympathetic tone may be the only thing we have keeping what little blood pressure he has. And I mean, I definitely, I am not a fan of keeping blood pressure up uh, via pain. Um, but at the same time, I'm also <laughs> not a fan of bottoming it out just to make somebody comfortable. So in this case, yeah. uh, no, I don't think I would have jumped to the fentanyl without a blood pressure. Yeah. All right. That's fair. I, uh, I, I, that, and that's sort of where I, that's sort of where I was sitting on this as well, which is, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I have the same kind of math where I'm like, well, it really doesn't, but you know, I would be comfortable giving somebody with uh, like a, you know, a borderline blood pressure, maybe a, a smaller dose, but without any kind of, it feels more like I'm shooting in the dark if I don't have a blood pressure or some other, you know, better indication of perfusion, you know, like the patient waking up like, and being like, Hey man, that really hurt. And stringing like a cogent right. sentence together. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Right. We could do something about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, um, what are your thoughts? You you had a couple things you wanted to bring up, um, and I've got a couple yeah. more for this episode that's otherwise going to run really long. What nah, are your thoughts on the def on the fire department? Uh, you you mentioned like hey, I I think they should have been called, but I could see other people disagree. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are okay. your thoughts there? I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, initially, I was kind of curious about like I wonder how long it took the fire department to get there because in my head I'm thinking like so your destination's like five minutes out. You know, why are you going to sit on scene and wait? Like, even if the fire department only took three minutes to get there, which uh, probably going to be longer than that, because by the time you think about like, the shoot time, like getting out, getting into the rig, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, even if they got there in three minutes, there's no way that you would get this person to the LZ quicker by calling them. It's impossible. Yeah. And so uh, that at first I'm kind of like, God, why would you do that? Uh, and even if you're like, yeah, like I'd be comfortable with both of us back here. But not, you know, not just one of us. I'm like, all right, well, then initially I was thinking like, all right, well, then drive five minutes to the LZ and then get back there as you wait for the helicopter. I mean, like, I guess like for me, I'm like, I, I'm not seeing the huge, uh, the huge benefit uh, initially. Uh, but then I thought I'm like, well, but if they can get there within five minutes into one spot and you can reduce confusion and you still have to wait for 15 minutes for the helicopter anyway, 
As long as you're at the helipad before the helicopter lands, it doesn't really matter if you call them onto the scene or if you call them there. And so it's really, it's negligible. Yeah, and, okay. the, and one of the things that could happen that would be not great uh, is if you somehow wound up putting the patient into the hospital. And the reason I say that is because uh, <laughs> hospitals and, and this you've is worked not, in flight. <laughs> yeah, because I have worked in flight. Well, no, exactly. Because we've all been on scenes where you're landing and you see them wheel a patient in the hospital and you're like, oh, no. And now here's the thing. Sometimes there are situations where absolutely wheel the patient in the hospital. Hey, the patient is crashing now. I need blood product now. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take your ass to land. I'm going inside to get that blood product. Do it. You know, the, the airway is failing. I need extra hands. I need them in the hospital. Yeah. Do it. That's fine. Um, if you can, though, wait for us. Because there are, and this is not the fault of the hospital, there's just too many uh, legal hoops to jump through when it comes to doing a transfer. And there's too many things they have to do. The best hospitals would still take 30 minutes before they'd be able to give you that patient back. And yep. trust me, there are some that are not the best, uh, don't have the best systems in place that can take much, 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 much longer. Uh, so that that that's always my kind of worry about like getting to a hospital too early when you want to put them on the flight. Um, so it, it's a consideration in there. So yeah, it's kind of one of those things where initially I found myself being like, why didn't you just drive to the LZ and call the fire department to the LZ? And that way, like there's, you just taking a step out of it. And then I'm kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter that much. And you could cause confusion that way too, because we've all had that where it's like, all right, have them meet me at the LZ. And someone says, all right, we'll dispatch them to the scene. And then you don't catch that part. And then you go there and the fire department shows up the scene. They're like, where the fuck are they? Well, they went to the LZ. Ah, shit. You know? And so, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, especially when we're talking about, you know, we have a questionable experience level. So I, yeah, I, I, I initially had a critique, but I'm like, mm, no, actually that, that was reasonable. Okay. So nice. No, I agree. I, I think, yeah, as long as you can, if you can make it there with the, you know, sit, with the patient safely with mm -hmm. one person for five minutes, um, it, it, like if it mattered to like, right. oh man, they're going to be landing in five, then I think that's absolutely a fair uh, yeah. thing to make. Then I, I think yeah. with that, the, yeah, with the 15 minutes, like you said, I'm just going to repeat everything you said essentially. So okay, perfect. Uh, there and, you go. as if it were my own. So yes, yes, like yes exactly. All right. Um, sweet. So uh, what are your thoughts on the removal of the tourniquet? Uh, to find the wound. Um, cause I am torn about this yeah, one. Yeah. Cause I don't like removing tourniquets. Um, but at the same time, like, cause, cause at first I'm like, cause I always have, I always have a running question. Cause there's always that thing with perfect. Like, well, I just, I gotta know what's going on. And my question always comes to this. Why do you need to know what's going on? There are absolutely valid reasons to have to, to want to know as much information uh, as possible. What you have to remember though is, uh, always view, uh, view your exam as a kind of intervention and timeliness, uh, does matter. And there is a point at which you can exam too much. Uh, you, you, yeah. you, can, you can exam a patient to death because if you don't act and all you're doing is sitting there measuring every absolutely last thing is all the blood pours out of their face, then yeah, you, you've examined that person to death, but you do know exactly why they died at least. Uh, so um, <laughs> <laughs> with that, yeah, it's urine action. That's why. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, but that, that being said, um, when it comes to a bullet wound, you really want to know where that is because that can really change uh, a lot. And so it makes me wonder if there wasn't some other indication that the bullet wound may be under that tourniquet because I don't see why you would take it 
off because that's I'm just I'm having a hard time getting my head around. So I was like, God, I can't find the bullet wound. Well, let's take the tourniquet off. Excuse me, like why? I mean, I, I guess because oh I mean, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm no, like, I think because I guess my thing is like, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because yeah, like, to me, all right, like, if it starts spurting, we'll know where it is. Well, because well, well, my other thing is, is like, so here's the thing, like. If you don't think it's under there, then you wouldn't take it off. You know what I mean? Like if you don't, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. But if you do think it's under there, then like, we'll just leave it because like it's. I mean, yeah, you you want to put it above the wound, but if you can't directly onto wounds, not bad either. Like it's you know, just yeah. leave it. You know, and so for me, it'd be kind of one of those things where, how about we just do a full head to toe on this guy first, see if we can't find the wound somewhere else. Uh, and then still leave the tourniquet on. I don't know. Like I just because because as far as as far as I know, they never found another bullet hole, did they? No, no. This okay. was the uh, one and done. Yeah. Yeah. So so they they essentially so everything they had to do for the guy they essentially did without ever finding the actual bullet hole anyway, or not the actual bullet hole, but the other bullet hole anyway. So I guess I'm just kind of yeah. like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it didn't do anything bad, you know, because it wasn't bleeding yeah i but i think I just, in this situation it worked out and it it's sort of like it negligible you know like it's a negligible yeah. thing um but, but it has potential out, to be didn't cause harm yeah it didn't cause harm it, yeah. uh yeah uh, then i think that's fine um yeah all right how about this <laughs> i really don't think how about this i really don't i think in this case it turned out fine i really don't think it is fine to remove a tourniquet though I mean, I just, it, it's, uh, I mean, unless you have, I mean, a really good reason, I'm just not thinking of right now, but like, ah, I can't find the hole. Let's see if it's under here. Just, just <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, but, I thought where you were going originally was like, all right, we'll just take it off and see where the blood spurts out of. Found the hole. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, put it back okay, on. Yeah, that would actually be a really bad idea. Yeah, but, but I mean, but that too, that's also bad. And so for me, yeah. I just... And the only thing, the reason I keep kind of waffling in my voice on this is this is one of the, I mean, I always hate the like, well, I wasn't there kind of thing, justification for stuff. Yeah. I hate that because a lot of times it's like, yeah, well, even if you were there, you shouldn't have done it. Uh, but this is one of those cases where I will say, I, you know, I wasn't there. And like, this is one of those things where it, not only was I not there, but the person that removed the tourniquet isn't the person we heard the story from. You know what I mean? So there's so many yeah. removals about what could have happened that I, I'm, I'm not so full of myself that I'm sitting here thinking like, well, if I can't think of a reason to remove one, then no one can. And this is sure. one of those situations where I'm like, I don't know. I like, I, I, I don't think I can't think of a good reason that you'd ever really remove the tourniquet. Even if you can't find the bullet hole, I mean, then just like still do a head to toe, see if you can find it somewhere else. And you know, if it's under there, well then I guess yeah. the tourniquet's doing its job. So just leave it, you know? Um, but again, I, mean, I, it, I, 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 it's one of those things where someone off. said, <laughs> I, I've taken off one tourniquet in my life where I was like, mm, no, I'm not, I'm not taking this yeah. in. Um, uh, and it was, I feel very justified in uh, that decision. But yeah. So I, I, and maybe that's where my bias is in. Uh, but I, as a general rule, I'm, if someone's put a tourniquet on yeah. and it's doing its job, uh, let it do its job. I took a tourniquet off on a flight once. Uh, oh, did you? I noticed that my partner had put the pull socks on the on the finger uh, that the tourniquet uh, that, that was on the extremity that the tourniquet was on, and it was getting a really good pleth wave. And I'm like, 
Ha. And so I looked up at the tourniquet well, and I was able to like put two fingers under it. And I'm like, this is doing nothing. Yeah. And so I just undid it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I ended it and I, and I just kind of left it there. I just, I just uh, untightened the patient's like, oh, it feels so much better. I'm like, I bet it does. And uh, <laughs> then we got to the receiving hospital and they were like, did you guys remove this tourniquet? I'm like, hear me out. And so I'm like, this is what I noticed. <laughs> and the doctor is like, oh, he's like, so wasn't doing anything. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe yeah. if, if it was like, maybe it loosened a lot. And the doctor's like, no, they probably just put it on wrong. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, I, I, <laughs> I was going to say that, but yeah, it's uh, cause if you put them on right, then they, they don't loosen ever. And it's, uh, yeah. So I love it. Nice. I thought their, uh, I, I think we can move on to the, uh, pregame. I, I thought their pregame was, uh, solid. I think it's good idea to think of like the equipment that you might need. And I think your point earlier about like being kind of inherently uncomfortable does sort of spur you into like, uh, hey, hold on. Where do we like this? We might need equipment. What equipment could we need for this? And right. where would that be? Exactly. And that, sort of spawns more ideas of like, Oh, what if we need this? And then where would that be? And again, that's more the idea of just sort of like allowing that flow to happen, I think is, is really beneficial. Um, and I think it's a good idea to, you know, like if you're not sure call, uh, you know, they were like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm not sure how to get the helicopter here. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, step on anyone's toes and, you know, piss off employers. So, yeah, just <laughs> then just ask uh, rather than don't because <laughs> there I think there's some people who are like, well, I don't want to look stupid when I call the boss. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. looks stupid. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all right. Better. Yeah. Um, But that the equipment inventory item does sort of uh, come into a system problem, too, Um, in areas where you do not use equipment very often or don't go on very many calls. Uh, I know most of the, t- most ambulance companies have like a, Hey, do inventory at, you know, like daily or you know, there's a check thing that goes with it. It is so easy to watch breaking bad, um, or, you know, listen to Bon Jovi, uh, instead of doing the checks, especially oh, yeah. when like you haven't run a call. Um, the problem is, is that at some point, people will run calls and they will forget to restock and they will forget that they ran a call or they will forget that they didn't, you know, like, Oh yeah, we restocked it. It's good. All right, cool. And then you, and then you'll inevitably go on the call where you're like, I need the Turkle shit. Somebody else used it already. Like, <laughs> I need the Turkle. It's yeah, like you said turtle turtle turtle. Shit, actually. <laughs> I need that. Don't use I the need Leonardo. Shit. Yeah. Donatello. Oh, I love Donatello. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that we both went with Donatello. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Um, so, and this is just one of those things that happens. Like everyone kind of falls into this pattern. I occasionally have shown up to work and been like, ah, oh, we haven't used the airway back. Oh yeah. And, you know, it's not great. Uh, and it's weird to be the person who has occasionally done this to also be like, don't do that. Um, I, I don't know. This is a system thing where I think people need to, uh, like there should be some way to, uh, make that a, an easier process or a f- more fun process or something that's more involved, um, versus just like, yep, check stuff <laughs> because 
if there isn't a need, if there isn't like pressure to do it, right? Then it's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other the other potential system problem for the scene that I saw was the have so. Again, I, this is one of those, like, we weren't there. I don't know the whole situation here. But uh, having a person who doesn't technically work for the EMS agency, because the EMS agency and the hospital are different entities. Um, oh, you're talking about the tech. And so, yeah. And so, like, if somebody from the hospital who's working under the hospital's direction comes out under the ambulance and does care out on an ambulance. Like we get to do stuff on the ambulance because we work for the medical director. Right. Um, and this person wouldn't. Yeah. And I guess that would be the only caution is don't, don't, uh, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unless you have some kind of policy or, you know, situation and maybe there is, I don't know, but if there isn't, then you really are just kind of, I don't know, potentially pissing off your employer and putting yourself into kind of a liability situation. um, Honestly, like that whole thing sounds to me like when that ambulance showed up that added themselves and then brought a buddy along, that whole thing sounds to me like they were hanging out at the hospitals like, hey, dude, you want to become a paramedic, right? Dude, let's go see this gunshot wound. And then everyone jumped on to go see a spectacle. Uh, That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, again, I don't, I don't don't know Mm. them, but it, gosh, it sounds like that, you know, (laughs) it's possible. It sounds like, uh, I don't know. It just sounds like someone wanted to see something cool and someone in the ER also wanted to see something cool. So they went to go see the cool thing, even though nobody asked them to be there. (laughs) And then there they were. So, so yeah, but I mean, I mean, to be dead honest though, I mean, like getting more paramedics in that situation, I, that, might not be a bad thing, especially if you find yourself kind of overrun with ALS inter- interventions in the first place. So not yeah, a terrible thing. That's, yeah. So, all right. Well, um, I, BLS only provider treatments. Yeah. Um, I, I think rapid transport to like, if there were, if you had 15 minutes, this might be one where you take the patient into the hospital. Right. Uh, uh, from scene especially you, because you, this yeah. guy may need als interventions he may need blood product right away he may need that tension pneumo taken care of right away because those things are uh you know within minutes killers uh losing blood and getting attention pneumo those can kill you in a handful of minutes and so yeah. it, you know i mean i i, I lamented people going to the hospital earlier you and i both did um but this is one of those situations where it's like no like in that case, it is better that they sit there and wait a half hour in the hospital, but get blood or get that yeah. pneumo taken care of. Uh, that That is a case where it is definitely better um, to do that. Um, but also don't forget about uh, oxygen and positive pressure ventilation. So what may yeah. be difficult, though, is if this is a patient that's been shot and as they start to get less and less conscious, uh, it's entirely possible that uh, they could become combative and the body is super sensitive about shit on its face, especially when it uh, isn't super conscious and aware that it's going to help in, in, in yeah. it's a good way to catch a, to catch a punch. Uh, so, but just, yeah, be advised of that. Um, but positive, positive pressure, ventil, oh, geez, positive <laughs> wow. pressure, ventilation. Uh, almost said it like a robot, positive pressure, ventilation uh, is a, uh, is, is within your scope and it is something uh, that you should consider in this case. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. also don't forget if you have a penetrating chest trauma, don't forget occlusive dressings. Uh, that was actually something I don't think we talked about. Well, they never found the, 
the trauma. Yeah. Well, no, they they did, and they put a tagaderm over the oh, uh, that's wound right. that they found, they which did. was which, which uh, tagaderm was, is inclusive? Kind of. Yeah, tagaderm it works. So tagaderm, gosh, I can't believe I forgot about that because that is an important thing to talk about. So we are going to talk about it now. All right. Yeah. So how you seal up that chest wound actually matters. Um, tegaderm, if you don't know what tegaderm is, tegaderm is essentially like a big flat piece of scotch tape. Like if you took like clear scotch tape uh, and just made it like big, like uh, like if it was as thick as duct tape, say. <laughs> like not, not as thick yeah. as duct tape, but like a, as wide as duct tape and about, I don't know, like two and a half, three inches long. That's what tegaderm is, but it's yeah. clear. And and it, it also moves with the skin really, really well. Um, and so you usually use that to put it over IV sites. Um, in this case, it was used as an occlusive dressing. So when you when you have a hole in, into, uh, into a cavity that you don't want air to get into, like, you know, the chest, you put an occlusive dressing over it to, you know, occlude air from going in uh, to the chest. But what you often want to be able to do is you want it to be vented. And there are some chest seals that are freaking awesome. They come with built-in vents uh, that are sure. amazing. Uh, in fact, the uh, the JetMedic Pro comes with vented chest seals. Uh, so, oh, nice. yeah, go to uh, JetMedic.com and uh, order yours today. Uh, but yeah, the JetMedic Pro comes with uh, vented chest seals. And the thing about that is it will let air out of that space. Because remember, we're talking about air between the chest wall and the lung, right? And yeah. if you have a hole uh, in the chest wall, which is normally what's causing this, uh, or in this case, when, when it comes to penetrating trauma, that's what's causing this. Um, then what you want to be able to do is you want that air to be able to escape, but you don't want more air to be able to come in. So that's why you put the occlusive dressing on. And these are the patients where yeah. things like positive pressure ventilation, especially if the lung is intact, is going to be great because you're going to increase the pressure inside that lung. It's going to squeeze down and be able to push it out of the hole that was in there. Uh, well, yeah. hopefully be able to push it out of that hole uh, and more air will not just come right back in uh, through the hole. Yeah. If you talk about like sucking chest hey. wounds. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Do you know, I don't know if you knew this, but the turkle needle also has a one-way vent. Oh, neat. And that would, that would be perfect for that. So yeah, the, the turkle needle has a one-way vent. Awesome. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah, we do need to talk about the occlusive dressings. And the problem with the tegaderm is I didn't hear anything about them venting that. And the issue there is that uh, especially if you uh, – any air that's trapped in there is just going to stay in there. It's not going to come out. Where there is a pathway for air to go from the lung into that space or blood for that matter, um, then it, it's it's just going to continue to get worse. And so that's the problem with not venting yeah. – um, not having a vented chest seal. Uh, so with yeah. that, uh, anything else? Um. No, I think we, uh, I think we, uh, I think we did it. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening to yet another episode of EMS 2020. Please visit us at our social media. We are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook and at EMS 2020 show on Instagram. Each and every episode gets its own post. So you can come ridicule us there. Oh man, I'm leaving that in. (laughs) That's just me today. I'm so stuttery. Um, Also, check out our Facebook to see uh, our showcase of the Jump Medic Pro first aid kit. It's a great first aid kit. Uh, The price is incredible for what's included, Uh, especially when you compare it to the ridiculously priced (laughs) competition. Um, It's an incredible value. Head on over to jumpmedic.com, get a Jump Medic Pro, and use the promo code EMS2020. That's EMS, all caps, 2020, no slashes. That'll get you 10% off the Jump Medic Pro. And uh, yeah, go buy one. And uh, also check out Guardian CME where you can get freaking education, including this episode. If you listen to this entire episode, uh, 
and uh, on the not Guardian CME, then you'll have to go listen to it again on Guardian CME. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I hope you didn't do that if you want to get continuing education for it. But uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> go check out GuardianCME.com. Get signed up, get free continuing education, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you. Oh, if anybody knows the freaking theme, not the Bon Jovi theme, but the other theme to this, uh, chime in because I don't know it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, chime in. I don't even know if Spencer knows. Thrown it. something. Thrown something. Porcelain throne. That's what it is. All right. <laughs> There's our awkward ending. There it is. Bye. Bye.